Hey, this is Christian Bush from Sugarland, and you are listening to Sound Sessions. There you go, making my heart beat again, heart beat again, heart beat again. Hey, everyone, this is your host, Mike Heideman, one of the most popular duos of all time. The group Sugarland has sold nearly 10 million albums domestically, earned seven number one singles, and kicked ass all over this country of ours. Now, with the release of their first new album in eight years, Bigger, Jennifer Nettles and Christian Bush are about to embark on a multi-city tour. We welcome Christian to Sound Sessions. What's going on, man? Hey, how are you? I'm great. So where are you calling from now? I'm calling from uh, currently in Nashville, Tennessee, about to... uh Get on a, a, a bus or a plane and go to Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, love Omaha. Are you ready for the tour? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty fantastic thing getting to put these songs back on stages uh, and watch fans' faces kind of, um, you know, break into the joy of, oh, my gosh, I haven't heard this in so long. And, <laughs> and our faces have the same look on them because <laughs> we haven't played them in so long. <laughs> I could imagine. So I was going to ask, because you're such a talented producer, singer, songwriter, guitar player, how do you create that signature sound uh, for Sugarland when you're when you're putting out these records? How do you create that vibe? You know, I think it's kind of dictated by the way we write songs together. You know, it's a unique mix whenever you put two creative people together. They're like um, chemicals. Mm-hmm. And they have a each each chemical pairing has a unique reaction, you know. And Jennifer and I seem to uh, to somehow squish together, you know, the melodies and the 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 chord progressions and things like this that are uniquely Sugarland. And then it has like the messaging that goes into the songs. And then Jennifer's amazing voice and kind of my obsessiveness with trying to make songs both feel like they're on the radio and also try to carry as much art as they can carry. I think that's the the that, the gumbo that makes it work. Yeah, I feel you on that because it's really interesting because you you played music your whole life and now instead of playing to a crowd of maybe 13 people at a local bar or honky-tonk, you're playing in front of thousands of people. Does that kind of seep into your mind when you're writing your music that this might be tattooed on somebody's arm one day? <laughs> Funny that you say that. There's a really cool culture in the Sugarland fan world of of tattooing a lot of the the words, mm-hmm. you know, that we write. And uh, even as much as they, you know, they're like, "Would you please write this down and uh, so that I can have your handwriting?" Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at at first I was like, "Wow, that's super cool." And then it got a little weird for me, and I was like, "You know what? It's not weird. It's not weird at all." Mm-hmm. And uh, Sometimes these songs and these messages, music has saved my life many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love it that people find things that that resonate with them, and then they want to they want to they want to tell that story on their body. That's totally fine with me. But yes, communicating with large numbers of people that you're not going to really be able to meet them all <laughs> is a is a responsibility, you know. And and once you start getting used to it, it gets easier. Yeah, it's artistry on its highest level. It's, it's, it's pretty uh, humbling, you yeah. know, to say the least. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to dive back a little bit into your background because I love hearing all the interviews and seeing you speak on, on, on TV and watching you at, you know, the CMA Awards. Uh, I'm a musician myself, and I've been playing here in Chicago for a short time now. Uh, I go to a lot of open mics here in the city. I'm very lucky to be living in a musical city like Chicago. Uh, looking back on your career, what was, it, what was that fire 
in yourself that caused you to go to all these open mics in Georgia and just play every night, going uh, late nights and just writing, writing? What was that push that you had that made you want to be an artist to the level you're at now? I, I, I That's a good question. I, I think that originally it was the fascination that the song itself because the song happens before the artist does, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No one ever says, oh my God, that's my favorite singer at an open mic night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They say, oh my God, that's my favorite song. Yeah. You know, and it, it gave me a, a, a glimpse into the world of how, if you go back to the same place where there's an audience, no matter how small, and you, you watched their face when you played, you played your last song and you decided you could tell who was, being entertained and why and what part of that song was entertaining you can go back and you can make a new one that maybe has that same attitude or that same turn or that same thing and you can improve it and it's like uh i joke all the time with new artists i'm like look we just got to get in the the studio and start failing (laughs) yeah and they're looking at me like what are you talking about i'm like you need to fail as fast as possible mm-hmm. so that you can correct the, the things that are failing and start to succeed. And su- success in the music business isn't about the business. <laughs> it's about the music part of that. Mm-hmm. That When the music starts to succeed, then the business sort of chases you down. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what it taught me. And the, the, the fire and the drive was to was that I, I had an audience that would at least respond to the music. And, you know, if you don't have a song on the radio, you don't have a direct connection to sitting next to one of your friends and say, I'm going to play you a song, right? Mm-hmm. You get no feedback. So that's what those open mics were. And, and that's what the culture of, of making more stuff is. And when you can find that wherever you are in the world, take it. And go do it and repeat it and repeat it so that you can constantly start to innovate what you're doing. It's it's so true. Do you ever go back and play any of those spots in Georgia? I saw you just on stage wearing uh, the Atlanta, Georgia shirt, so playing Georgia on my mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just there. Uh, that was here at the Ryman in, in Nashville last night. But, yeah, I do go back. I play Eddie's Attic a good bit. And once a year I play around Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and I, I try to go back and make sure that um, these new songs that I'm writing, when I play them for an audience that is, has been there for me for 20 years, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you if they like one of them, and they'll go to the restroom while they, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. It's very true. It's very true that that's the pain you have to deal with as as a musician and especially as an open micer. Man, there's no tougher crowd than just sitting there and seeing people stare at you with blank faces. I'm sure. Right. Yes. Do you remember the first song you learned to play on your guitar? Um, I do. I do. I learned uh, the Roy Orbison, Girl, You Really Got Me. Oh, yes. Huge Roy Orbison fan. So I remember that. I remember trying to make an A chord mm-hmm. and, you know, like pulling that the E string down when it's a G. I was like, huh, that's how that works. And I was a pretty quick study on the guitar just because I was a violinist and mm-hmm. I had been trained by ear. So I, I, if you could, if I could get my fingers to do the things that made the sounds the, the way I, I heard them on the radio, then suddenly I could get some work done. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's yeah, because you're you're trying to you, emulating the sounds that you hear off the radio was the way that I started playing guitar too. It was just seeing Eric Clapton uh-huh. play, or even Roy Orbison, just seeing the way he looked. It's just I wanted that. Um, when you were young and you were growing up. What was that first record that your mom or dad put on the record player that you thought, wow, this is this is something different. This is what I need to do with my life. Hmm. I don't know if, if it was them that did that for me, but um, I remember I remember trying to understand the police synchronicity record. And then I saw that tour the same year and I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's what they're doing. Mm hmm. And it's, I started to, to deconstruct it. I would learn each part, you know, and it was a pretty intricate three piece, that band. And, um, but it was all based on, on rhythms, you know, and I, the bass playing was rhythmic. The guitar playing was rhythmic. The, obviously the drummer was great. And it kind of taught me how to in, interpret what the radio is doing. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, when I got my first big record deal, I ended up in London with the producer who produced that record. Wow. He, he produced my first record. So um, it was pretty amazing. That That's wild. You know, there's. it's so funny because it's great to hear how, like, how just uh, instrumental you are and how, how fully formed you are as a musician. Do you believe in, in, in kismet things? Do you believe in the universe, like, telling you and pushing you in a certain direction? Because the fact that you were that was your first uh, tour that you saw, and then he became your producer, I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty full circle, my friend. Well, and I, I, I could ask a question at 22 years old that was completely informed. I was like, hey, I have a question for you. He's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, on this particular song at this particular moment, when this sound happens, what is that? <laughs> And he looked at me like sideways and he was like, well, and he gave me the answer. And I was like, awesome. Because most of this journey of discovering how to be a recording artist, because that's kind of what I write down <laughs> when somebody has like a, a, a sheet to fill out and they ask you your occupation. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always, I, I, I'm somewhat confused as to what to put there, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, in the past 10 years, it's, I've gotten very comfortable with writing recording artists or professional recording artists because that's exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. I make things, I record them, and then I go out on the road and I support the things that I recorded because of the way I learned it. But yeah, I, I believe in kismet. I believe that, that your brain and your heart and your mind um, connect in a way to dream stuff up and you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm just dreaming right now. But, and, and I think there's an unconscious focus that, that can happen. And, you know, I, I'm sure there's a way to train it. I'm sure there's some guru somewhere, but I am the living testimony that, um, you know, thoughts become things. Mm-hmm. Choose the good ones. <laughs> you don't want the bad ones. Oh man! You know when you come to Chicago one of these days, I would love to get you in studio. It'd be great to to meet you and 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 sit down and talk to, with you a little bit longer. 
Oh, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Of course, that is Christian Bush from the band Sugarland. He's playing August 23rd at Highland Park here in Chicago, Illinois, uh, at the Ravinia Festival. We are so stoked to see you. Uh, before I let you go, um, you can check out his podcast, too, Geeking Out. I had a million geeking out questions for you, but I'll save those for next time. <laughs> uh, okay, sounds great. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite memory of Chicago? Leave us on that. Um, actually, I, I shot uh, my first uh, sort of lyric video to my song Trailer Hitch there, and it, it ended up being a strange little social experiment where I was trying to, I put a guitar case out and then my guitar out, and I started playing songs, and I was trying to give away money that was in the case to people that were walking by rather than asking people to put money in it. <laughs> okay. And I'll never forget having to convince people to do that and then at a certain point the people of chicago passerby started to realize what was going on and i started to ask them if they would help and they were more apt to take money and give it to someone else than they were to just take it from me wow what part of chicago were you in (laughs) (laughs) i thought well that's a really amazing thing for people walking down the street Mm-hmm. That's so great. That's so great. We are excited to see you when you get back August 23rd. Thank you again for joining us here on Sound Sessions, Christian. Thanks, man. Can't get enough of Sound Sessions? Like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at Sound Sesh Pod, and check us out on Instagram. 